my name is Sanjay. I didn't introduce myself before those lovely interviews, but I, uh, along with my wife Jenny, am part of the leadership team here, and it's my privilege this morning to continue our series looking at this theme of community. So throughout the whole month of September, uh, we're looking at this theme, and we started off two weeks ago with Steve um, looking at God's nature as Trinity. Uh, we, we talked about how the very idea of our community starts in God's nature as Trinity. You may recall, if you were there, a triangle diagram which showed how God is the Father and the Son and the Spirit, but um, the Father is not the Son and the Son is not the Spirit. And Steve helped us to, to think well and to speak well of God's nature. Um, but Steve also took us further than that and he said it's, it's not just a technical description of who is who and, and who isn't whom. God is love. And actually there's an intimate loving relationship between the Father and the Son and the Spirit. Uh, it's an intimate union of love. And then last week, Andy and Ruth took us forward in considering how we form community together based on God's loving and three-in-one nature. They explored how we relate together, a community for each other, uh, and they helped us to see a range of things that can get in the way of us being community together. So this week, we're going to continue in our series. I want to tell you that God has made us to be together in community, and it's actually his work. We looked last week at this is, this is God's work building his church. So in looking at community, in a sense, we're partnering with him to understand the work that he's doing in his church. So at OCC, community is so important to us that it's our middle name, Oxford Community Church. It's that important. So we're going to look at what God's purpose is for us as a community. Just as we saw that God's love doesn't remain within itself, God is self-sufficient, but his love started to overflow and, and, and spilled out in creation. So we might expect that in our community, there is more for us than just relating well together. There is an overflow of this love that God is forming among us, that God would have us step into. So what then is that purpose? I find that when I think about purpose, I most often consider the question in an individual capacity, I wonder why I'm here, or you know, what are my passions or my strengths? I, I wonder where I'm going in my career or in my work or outside work or in relationships. And that question can plague us, particularly when there's moments of change. When there's changes in work, we can wonder what, what's going on. Are we, are we still on a track? Do we still have purpose? If there's changes in our family dynamics or relationship dynamics, we can, we can be at odds, um, or changes in personal situations, whether health or, or wider situations, either for us or for our family. So these can all qu cause us to question or doubt our purpose. But I want to suggest that finding our purpose as a community is even more important because it can actually root us when our individual purpose may see, um, seem unclear. So my prayer is that today, in seeing the purpose that God has for his people, we could each then find our own purpose with a place in that plan. So where should we look? If only there were some pictures of Jesus calling his disciples to be with him and then stating really clearly what he was calling them to do. Well, as God would have it, there is. 
uh, and it's in the Bible. Um, there is a really clear statement of purpose near the start of Jesus' ministry. It's where he draws a group of disciples around himself, and we get a very clear insight into the purpose for which he's called them together. So the sermon today is actually going to be quite a simple sermon, but there's going to be three very clear ways of landing it, and we're going to move into praying for our communities that we would find and live out this purpose that God has for us. So I make no apology for the simplicity of today's sermon. So we're going to look at Mark chapter 3 and verses 1 to 21. And I'm going to click. Molly is going to help me. Marvellous. So we're going to read uh, just these 21 verses. Again, he entered the synagogue and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal them, heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked round at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea, and from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him, and he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd lest they crush him, for he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach, and have authority to cast out demons. He appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James the son of Zebedee, and John the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boanerges, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the Canaanian, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Then he went home, and the crowd gathered again, so that they could not even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. So we're going to look more closely at verses 14 to 15 drawing on other parts of this text to find our collective purpose. So verses 14 and 15, And he appointed twelve, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him, and he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. So the first thing we're going to look at is that phrase, so that they might be with him. This is the first and most important aspect of Jesus' call to his disciples. He wanted them to be with him. Now, what did being with Jesus look like? 
we can read from just this story alone that it involved quite a few things. The disciples got used to traveling with Jesus, to resting with him, eating, listening, ministering, helping, healing, preaching, and a whole lot more. It was certainly never dull. Jesus was calling his disciples to stay close to him, to watch what he was doing, to understand why he had come, to learn from him by following. I have found a little book by Rowan Williams to be really helpful on this. It's a little book called Being Disciples, uh, and in it he says, Disciples are expectant. They take it for granted that there is always something about to break through from the master. The master is going to speak or show something. Reality is going to open up when you are in the master's company. And so your awareness is a little bit like that of a bird watcher. The experienced bird watcher, sitting still, poised, alert, not tense or fussy, knows that this is the kind of place where something extraordinary suddenly bursts into view. So bird watching. Now, <laughs> um, expectancy. And I read that book over the summer, and since then I've had a go at bird watching. Uh, we live in Oxford, we live near a river, and there's quite a few birds on the river. We often see herons and others. Um, and I know that others are more experienced in this field than I am uh, in the church. Um, and I have to say, this might come as a surprise to you, bird watching pretty boring. Um, I'm, no bird, I'm no bird watcher, I have to confess, and apologies to those who are, but I, I agree with Rowan Williams that there is a similarity to watching expectantly, but I have to admit, it, it wasn't really bird watching, it felt a lot more like river watching or bird waiting, but bird watching isn't, wasn't a good description, but I guess, I guess that's Rowan Williams' point. Sitting there or going about normal life but ready. And then suddenly, a bit of movement, a word, something incredible happens. So the disciples are invited to be with Jesus and invited to watch. They're invited to be expectant. I want to suggest that we actually see two forms of expecting or watching in this passage in Mark 3. Firstly, we're told that the Pharisees watched Jesus to see whether he would heal the man on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. That's one way of watching Jesus. Is he going to do something that I don't approve of? Is he going to go over and eat with those people who are unclean or immoral or sinners? We see that elsewhere in Jesus' ministry. Will he heal someone on this day when you're not supposed to? Or perhaps closer to home, will he make me do something that I don't want to do? Will he make me go and talk to that person sitting on the road next to the Sainsbury's near my work? You know, will he make me leave my job? Will he send me to Djibouti? Will he, you know, we can watch him with that sort of nervous watching, that waiting, that kind of slightly fearful, is he going to do something bad for me? And it's not just Jesus that people are watching. In the previous passage, Jesus' disciples had plucked some corn to eat, and the Pharisees were watching them too. And they said, look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? So that's one way of watching. Jesus wasn't put off by this. I want to suggest that there was another form of watching, an expectant, a pressing in, a longing, a listening, a watching. Not to accuse Jesus or to complain at him or to study him, 
but to be close to him, to be changed, to be healed, to hear what he's doing and saying and to get involved. I want to suggest that Jesus was one of these sorts of watchers. He says in John 5 verse 19, I only do what I see the Father doing. We see Jesus walking with the same sense of expectant watching, watching the Father. Rowan Williams again. The disciple is not there to jot down ideas and then go away and think about them. The disciple is where he or she is in order to be changed, so that the way in which he or she sees and experiences the whole world changes. This is not an academic sort of watching, a studying, or a waiting to accuse. It's an expectant watching. Let's live expecting, responding to Jesus' call to be with him. And my parents are a really good example to me of this. Uh, We were on holiday a few years ago in Alabama, um, in the States, uh, and we were visiting the birthplace of the civil rights movement. My uncle lives in the same city where that kicked off. So we went to the museum, and around the corner, we found out that there's a church where Martin Luther King Jr. preached, and it was a particular moment in launching the civil rights movement. So we, being good tourists, wanted to go see the church as well, and walked around the corner. And as we got there, we saw a lady sitting on the steps. And mum and dad just knew that we needed to stop and be with her. Now, this lady wasn't in a good place. She had experienced various types of abuse. So my mum just sat with her for about an hour. She just stopped her day and made space for this beloved daughter of God. My dad and my brother and I stood a little way off and just prayed because... Honestly, we weren't quite sure what to do. We just prayed in tongues for most of the time. And we knew that there was something spiritual going on. There was this lady and there was my mum. There were three guys standing close by who had some form of relationship and control over this lady. And then there was me, my dad and my brother, three other guys standing this side, praying for the whole encounter. And And it felt like there was something spiritual going on which we didn't understand. Now, I'd love to say that this, li- this lady's life got turned around and she was changed and transformed. I honestly don't know what happened. But there was an attentiveness to what this loving, saving, healing Jesus wanted to do in that moment. My mum was expectant that at any moment the power of this Jesus would break in and she was ready to do what she saw him doing. Now I find it's really easy to be distracted, um, particularly living in a city centre, And it can be hard to watch Jesus with this sort of expectancy. So for me, some little things that I've tried to do a bit more of, um, it looks like walking instead of cycling. If I'm cycling, I'm just plowing on, trying to get there. If I'm walking, I'm just taking a bit more time. I'm watching. I'm waiting. I'm expectant. Uh, Not having my headphones in is another little trick. Or not being on my phone. Uh, Just little ways of being open to what God might do, expecting that at any moment something extraordinary, extraordinary might break in. So I'd love for us to start asking ourselves, Jesus, what are you up to here? In community life or as we're going about our daily life, what are you up to here? And I think that we'll find that as we do that, as we press in with that sort of expectation to Jesus, we'll also find ourselves closer together. The crowd who are pressing against Jesus we're also pressing against one another. So let's press into him and let's be drawing, drawn closer into community through that. So the second part of the verse that we're going to look at is that he might send them out. Now this is an intentional sending. 
This comes at the very start of Jesus' ministry. And at the end of his time with his disciples, he sends them out, just as we read here, to preach, saying in Mark 16, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Now, there are different interpretations of this word go, uh, and you may have heard it preached that go means as you are going. Uh, I want to say that actually a better translation is having gone, having already gone, and the best translation is the one that we, that we read in the Great Commission, which is just go. Um, we know that Jesus uh, couldn't have been just saying, as you are going, as in go back to being fishermen and go back to tax collecting and in the, in the midst of that, see, see what God might do, because that's not what the disciples did. That's not what they understood by that. They went out. They responded to it by going out. And we should note here who the disciples were. They weren't particularly familiar with this notion of going out, this changing the world. They were locals. They grew up in and around Galilee. They weren't global travellers. No one really was in in those days. Typically, they wouldn't leave their local area, especially as fishermen, which several of the disciples were. So what did they know about the ends of the earth? Now, many of us may know that God has called us out and actually are out, the place that we've been sent out to, is indeed Oxford. Oxford may indeed be that place where we've obeyed that command to go. Um, But for some of us, I think we might need to hear that encouragement to go, to be intentional about seeking out places and people who haven't yet heard of Jesus. And this bit is particularly real to me at the moment. As some of you will know, about five years ago, I felt very clearly called back to Oxford where I'd studied to work and to work with a number of colleagues and to set up a company helping social enterprises and ministries to grow. And that's been my focus. And that's very much been for God and with a sense of calling from God. So it was with some confusion, actually, over the summer that I started to hear God calling me on from that. And I thought, well, God, didn't you call me to this? How can, you, how can you now call me to something else? Is, it, is the time up on this thing? But God was speaking about a deeper call to involvement in the church, to leadership, to greater involvement here. And as I prayed about this and spoke to wise friends and family and mentors and sought God's confirmation in Scripture, I felt God speak to me clearly and confirm that. So I want to suggest that God might be calling us on Um, He might be calling us further out. That might be to a different part of the city. It might be to a people group or to to an area that we've had a sense of stirring about, but just thought, oh, no, that can't be for now because God's called me to hear. I want to suggest that even if it's not an easy thing to hear, as we press into God, he may call us and send us out. And I I want to acknowledge that as I obeyed God in coming back to Oxford, um, he, he was faithful in that. And actually, I believe that as I obey him in this next season, he's going to be faithful again. Um, I entrusted quite a bit to him. Jenny and I had just started going out when I received this call to move to Oxford, and Jenny was staying in London, and we'd just started a relationship. In fact, the first day of our relationship was the last day of my old job in London, which I wouldn't recommend as a, as a way to do it, uh, but Jenny had much grace, and, and here we are. So it wasn't a small thing for God to speak and to bring about change. 
either that time or this time, but we can trust that he's faithful. I can think of Alan Caroline as well. They've recently moved to be part of Wheatley Community Church. This was their family. This was their hope. That was no easy call, but they're expecting to see God's faithfulness in that. We are the sent ones. And I want us to to consider, Jesus, where are you sending us out? So then moving on, he might send them out to preach. So the disciples were sent specifically to preach. What were they to preach? They were to preach the good news about Jesus Christ. Remember, we're in Mark 3. The disciples were still very much at the start of their journey of being with Jesus. They were learning what he was all about. They were discovering. They were understanding just, how, just who he was. And it may seem that as we go out, this notion of preaching, this notion of telling people who Jesus is, might seem just as unfamiliar to us as it did to the disciples at the beginning of Jesus' ministry. They still hadn't quite worked out who he was. I remember going out on the turning um, and doing some street outreach last year, and it felt thoroughly uncomfortable, um, despite having walked with Jesus for many years, this, this question of, well, you know, what does that mean? And it was, almost, it was almost easier to go as community. One of the most helpful things I've, I've heard in evangelism was from a, a lady in our sphere of churches who had basically spent all of her life trying to go out as if she was an evangelist, and when actually she's prophetic, and she realized one day that as she goes out, she can just be a prophet, just be prophetic on the streets. She can go and ask God for insight into, their, into people's lives. Or it could be that you go out as a pastor and you ask God for compassion and people open up their lives and you find yourself with opportunities to, to share what God has done in your life into those situations. It's also much easier to go with people um, Team is really important. When Jesus sends the disciples out in Luke 10, he sends them out two by two. There's a reason for this. So whether we're going together or we're just supporting each other, uh, let's consider this going out and this speaking to people about Jesus. Now, I want to also say that the thing that qualifies us to speak about Jesus is simply us having been with him. That's actually what witness means. Witness means that we've witnessed him. We've been with Jesus. We've seen him. The apostles were all witnesses to Jesus having been raised from the dead. And actually, Peter, the accusation that was leveled at Peter um, when Jesus was on his way to be crucified um, was in Luke 22, this man has also been with him. There's something about being with him that qualifies us to then speak of him. And I want to say this isn't just a New Testament idea. We see in Exodus 9 that this purpose, we see God saying to Moses, I have raised you up for this very purpose, that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So God declares this to Moses when he's about to liberate his people from slavery. It's part of, part of the purpose of God's people is not just that we go out, but that God's name is proclaimed, that we share the goodness, the excellencies, as it says elsewhere in the New Testament, of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvellous light. So these are purposes to which the disciples are called, not just as individuals, but as community. 
And in the book of Acts, despite the disciples' backgrounds, they're not used to this, they're still learning. By the time the book of Acts comes around, they've seen more of Jesus. And despite their backgrounds, lack of gifting, and the persecution they're facing, they actually start to say, we cannot help speak of what we have seen and heard. There's more for us in being sent out and in preaching. There's more for us to discover uh, in understanding how to share the goodness and the truth of what Jesus has done. So again, the thing that makes the difference is Jesus is pressing into him. Um, And I just want to share a prophetic word that Re had last week, um, which relates really well to this. So Re saw a picture of shoes and asked God, what's this about? And God said, tell people to walk in your shoes, walk in your anointing. And then I saw God adding new shoes, more anointing. And God is saying to the church, as a body of God, walk in our anointing as God has given. He's going to edify his body and pour out his blessings and flood this place with love. So it seems that there's something that God might be doing in us that encourages us to go out to speak, to find fresh anointing, to operate in that, and that there's blessing that will flow uh, as, as we do so. And then the final bit of the Um, passage I just want to consider is this and have authority to cast out demons now this is the this is actually I have to say this the hardest this has been the hardest bit to prepare for um, because it's a profound declaration here of both Jesus identity and Jesus power Um, and we we've already seen actually in in Mark leading up to this that people had started noticing Jesus' new teaching with authority. Um, In Mark chapter 1, it says, They were all amazed. This is just after Jesus has healed a man with an unclean spirit. They were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. So what is the purpose of casting out demons? Now, I'm not going to go into a full theology of demons now, but do please come and ask me afterwards if you're either worried about that or interested in that. Um, I want to just simply say that in casting out demons, Jesus demonstrates two fundamental things about himself. He demonstrates his compassion, freeing people, setting them free, and his authority over evil. And Jesus gives this same authority to his disciples both at the start of ministry and at the end of his ministry. So what does this compassion and this authority look like in action? Well, I remember a story that Chris Fulton shared over the summer where he was buying a car off some guy uh, in southeast London. Um, Random guy. And as soon as Chris met him, he just liked him. He was like, oh, I like this guy. And there was was just a connection there. And this guy, they were chatting, this guy shared that he was quite a keen sportsman, but he hadn't been able to play sports or to run for some time because he'd hurt his leg. And Chris had compassion on him. He liked him, and he thought, that's rubbish. I want, I want to see that healed. And, but Chris didn't just stop with compassion and go, oh, that's a shame, and take pity. He went beyond that, and he actually offered to pray for him. He said, I'm a Christian, I believe Jesus can heal can I pray for you? And the guy said, yes. And Chris just heard this week that um, the guy's leg is better and he's been playing sports again. 
And, he, and, and what's interesting about that is he, he thought to tell Chris. So he associates it with that prayer that Chris prayed. So there's something about compassion, but then also the authority to say, actually, I believe in a guy called Jesus. I know that he can heal. Can I pray for you? And the expectation that Jesus is going to step in. Bex's song uh, just earlier on in the worship about trusting God. Again, there's this, when, we, when we're with Jesus, the disciples and the others who are pressing up against him started to see that actually their needs were met. They were healed. They were changed. And as they did that, I want to suggest that they didn't just go away happy. They went away changed. They went away knowing that actually in this man, Jesus, they found all that they needed and that gave them confidence to then go and minister with that same authority elsewhere. So I think this is all tied up in being with him. We gain his compassion and we gain confidence in his authority. So as we're open to Jesus prompting us, I believe that this sort of thing would ha- will happen more and more. Um, now, I, I want to share something about how this has worked out in my life just in the last few days. So on on Friday evening, Jenny and I were, were speaking about um, the week, and uh, it came out that I hadn't done something that I'd promised to do. And, um, and, it, and I apologised. But as we started talking about it, it wasn't just that I hadn't done it. It was actually that there was something deeper going on. So we asked ourselves, Jesus, what, what are you up to here? And we felt Jesus just pinpoint that actually I find it quite hard to be vulnerable because of some experiences earlier in my life. And that's made it hard. Like, I'm, I'm fearful of opening myself up to people because of these experiences. So we invited God's power to come in and help and free me of hardness of heart and to make my heart soft again. And it hurt, actually. And there was some of it that I was ready to let go of. But actually, there was some of it that I'd lived with so long, I was... I was still nervous about letting go of it. I, was, I, was, I found it hard to believe that, that Jesus was good enough, was big enough, that if I let go of, these, of, of this crutch of just not being vulnerable, that actually Jesus has me. Jesus would catch me and that that would be okay. But Jesus highlighted it and I believe that there's freedom for me and there's healing, so we're going to go back to it. There's freedom in Jesus' name. He has authority over demons. He has authority over spiritual affliction. He has authority over Chris's friend's leg and the lady on the steps of that church in Alabama. Let's be expectant of his power coming in and changing situations both big and small. And John's word about mess. Let's have confidence in a good father who's powerful enough to come in and clean up the mess that we can't. So we, want to, we, we see all of this working out in a really simple story in Acts chapter 3. Peter and John, they're together, they're on their way to pray, but they're also attentive to what God might be doing. They've got their eyes open. And I remember a song about this story, which Jenny really didn't appreciate me sharing uh, just before going to bed one day this week. Um, it goes, Peter and John went to pray. They met a lame... Should we sing it together? Do you know no. Peter and John went to pray. They met a lame man on the way. He asked for alms and held out his palms. And this is what Peter did say. Silver and gold have I none. 
that such as I have give I thee. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. He went walking and leaping and praising God, walking and leaping and praising God. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. So, in this passage, in Acts 3, um, Peter turns to this guy and directs his gaze at him, and so does John. The, the Bible says that really clearly. And then they say, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something. The man was changed, and all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognised him and were filled with wonder and amazement. So here we've got two disciples on their way to do what they were going to do anyway, and they're just open. They're just ready. They're just observant. This guy turns, they look at him, he asks for help, and they engage him. They see the power of God change his life. And not just the man was changed, but all were filled with wonder and amazement. So what does all of this mean for us? How are we to live as a people for purpose? I want to suggest that these things can come together in our community life. So our first purpose is to be with Jesus. The second thing we saw that Jesus sent them out to preach. And the third thing is to have authority to cast out demons. So we've chosen to express our community life at OCC through missional communities. These are places that we expect Jesus is always about to do something. We're ready. We're expectant. We had some of that in our, church, in our own community in Bunch at our church camp over the summer. We saw God giving new spiritual gifts. We saw him giving new direction. We saw him giving new confidence, new boldness. In these communities, we're also attentive to the needs of others, we're watching with that same compassion that, that Jesus watched. We're serving, we're being healed and we're seeing others healed. We're being set free and we're seeing others set free. And we're confident in the authority we've been given to see lives changed and transformed. So this is the sort of community that I think God has made us to be. And it's the sort of community that I think that we already are in a whole bunch of ways. But I think there's more for us. There's more intimacy with Jesus, there's more confidence to go out to preach, and there's more authority and power to see things changed. So really practically, if, you, if that sounds good, and if you'd like to join a community, I want to encourage you to come and speak to me, to get plugged in, or to go and visit the welcome desk at the back and see what is going on in the life of the community. And I want to leave us with three questions to take away, which will help us in our community life, to live with this sort of purpose. The first question is, Jesus, what are you up to here? Let's live that life of expectant watching, like a bird watcher, that Jesus is about to do something remarkable. Secondly, Jesus, where are you sending us out? This could be to an area, this could be to a people group, this could be to a, another you know, community in, in Oxford and opportunities to share what Jesus has done in our lives. Where are you sending us out? And then finally, just a really simple prayer, Jesus, show your power. And as we move into a time of response, Andy's going to help us to pray into this together in our communities.